And you are live in the studio here at Triple H 100.1 FM with Alexi Boyd and live across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Thank you for joining me once again. Just if you missed any of the earlier interview, we were talking to Katie Gompertz, who is the Labor candidate for Hornsby, um, about the state election, which we should all be starting to make ourselves aware of. We were talking about small business issues in particular. So uh, thank you very much for those of you who listened. Those of you who missed it, make sure you catch up via the website, smallbizmatters.com.au. Now, this would be normally when I have a look at the Small Biz Matters calendar, which I will come back to after we've uh, gone to the next break, I think. But here in the studio today, I have Dean Salakis, who is the party people. He is the party people. And he is so well known in his business for being the 2018 Australian uh, Retailer of the Year. Now, why have I brought him in today? Well, basically because... Awards are awards are a funny thing. They're a, they're a strange beast. I mean, some people just get nominated because they nominate themselves, and then they hire someone to fill out the application form, and then you kind of go, oh, well, you know, is it really meaningful? Does it actually mean anything? And sometimes people can think of it as a, a sort of a system of of rewarding people who are in the know or in with the good in with the the leadership team of a particular organisation. But I would say somebody being labelled as the Australian Retailer of the Year is um, is particularly important because that would definitely, in my mind, be the hardest uh, industry in which to operate in. So um, this week, we're lucky enough to interview Dean Salakis from the Party People. Uh, we're going to talk about what winning such an award actually means to your business, how you can leverage off that and actually improve your business. And he's going to tell us a little bit of his trade secrets as well in relation to how he's grown so exponentially. Um, Plus, he was on Shark Tank. So what does that mean for your business if you are lucky enough to be chosen to appear on the show? Welcome to the show, Dean. Thanks. Great to be here. (laughs) Now, um, I am fascinated by awards. I think they're um, a a strange, odd beast that sometimes people just get because they gave themselves an award, a pat on the back, or some small industry or some organisations chosen you out out of a barrel, essentially. But I think the 2018 Australian Retailer of the Year, that's a big deal. Like, obviously, there's a lot of retailers in Australia, a lot of yeah. them are part of the, of the association. Were you surprised when you got the award? How did you feel when you initially received it? Yeah, look, it's my second year winning that, that award, actually, and um, I would say I was, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty pumped to have won that award. It was quite exciting to have got it, and yeah, I didn't expect to win it two years in a row, so that was, that was really nice, yeah. And, and how does that, how does that change you? How does that sort of uh, pat on the back and that, uh, message of success what does it do to you personally when you're when you're running a business does it kind of give you a, a leg up in terms of your you know confidence <laughs> oh i guess i'm not sure if this is the answer you want to hear but i don't think it makes that much difference to how you actually go about your business I, you know you certainly don't work for the award mm. um it's not what motivates you to run your business every day so it's just something that's yeah, it's a nice little pat on the back um, you get chuffed about it, and as we'll talk about, we, you do try to leverage it as much as you can. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you ride the wave, but yeah, certainly, um, I wouldn't say we've changed anything in the way we do anything, or it doesn't change anything in our business at all. Mm. It's it's interesting actually because people go, yeah, I just sort of bung the badge on the on the website and hope a couple of people notice, but you're not really singing it from the rooftops because I guess you're just getting on with running your business. Yeah, I mean, you do use it for a credit bit. In fact, there is on our website in 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 one of the the, the main banner that comes up when mm. you lo- log onto our website. We do mm. sort of talk about it a little bit, use it as a bit of a credibility factor, um, but not. You know, it's not like a huge thing we, we've leveraged in terms of that marketing, if you like, of the business. But um, certainly there are other benefits of winning an award like that. Absolutely. So so talk to me about this this business of yours and, and how 
I guess when you get an award like this, it can be seen to be a bit of an overnight success, you know, massive expansion and, and lots of people coming on board. Is that is that how your business worked? Tell me a little bit about your journey. Yeah, so my mum started the business 30 years ago as a clown and um, that's always a bit of a fun story to tell because she she actually didn't, she, 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 you know, she was out there helping people have parties and going out to people's venues, you know, people's houses in the 80s. There was no party venues. There wasn't really party stores around. And she'd go out there and help them have the party. She'd make the fair rig bread and chocolate crackles and bring them along and help them clean up and, to, you know, in the process be a clown in the process. Um, and then she decided to open up a kids' venue, which uh, didn't go so well, the, the venue, back in the 80s. Um, and it was around the same time McDonald's started doing uh, venues in there, you know, having kids' parties. At, so they like stole kids. the idea from your mum? Well, I don't know if they stole <laughs> it, but certainly the timing was bad with my mum. And that hurt the business. But she had a bit of retail and that, that just went ballistic. So she pivoted, as a lot of small businesses do, and, and focused on where she was making money. And that's where the party store kind of started. Were you inspired by your mum as a clown and that's what got you into the family business or did you see her as a real, um, you know, female entrepreneur and you were inspired by her as a businesswoman? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because originally when I, like I went through, I worked in the business my whole life uh, from when I was four years old. I did little bits and pieces actually. I was shoveling sand into a bag and they'd use them as weights on tables <laughs> um, as a four-year-old. And I grew up in the business and worked in it my whole life all the way into university and I worked on weekends or in between classes and stuff like that. And then even um, after university, I got a job at Woolworths. I wanted to go out and do my own thing. And mm. I, I never really had this idea that I'd actually take over the family business because um, you know, as, as a kid at school, I used to get teased. My mum was a clown and um, it was just something I wanted to do my own thing, you know. And um, and then when my parents decided they wanted to retire, I guess that's when the, the reality set in that this was this was a great opportunity. This business was great and I enjoyed it. I loved working there. I was still working weekends even I was working at Woolworths and, um, you know, it's just something we – when the, my brother came up with the idea one Friday afternoon, my parents said they wanted to retire and he said, why don't we take it over? And I didn't even think twice. I said, yeah, let's do it. it was, so it's really in the family. It's both you and your and your brother still operate within the business and, and work it? Yeah, absolutely. My brother's my business partner. And Wow. Because <laughs> you hear so many times about, about people having these big fallouts with family, but that's remarkable. You're not only it's, – it's now generational as well as remaining in the family. Are there yeah. any um, top tips you would give to, to businesses who are thinking – Thinking about going into business with um, brothers and sisters? Oh, top tips. I guess probably just as a, a general thing, I've got a lot of people that I know that are in business with family and it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> it generally probably doesn't work, but when it does work, it's very powerful because my brother and I, we, we get on so well, we know each other, we, we cut the crap, we get straight to the point. Um, and we and we feed off each other, and we're there for each other as family, not just as business partners. So if he's going through it tough in his area, I'm there for him as his brother and and as his business partner. Um, so quite often we have funny conversations where he'll say, "I want to go on a holiday or something," and I'll say, "Look, as your business partner, I'd say no, but as your brother, go for it. I'll, I'll take care of I'll take care of things while you're away." So. so it sounds to me like the the foundation of a good business partnership is is to have that. Um, that family connection first and, and a very strong, make that your foundation. Yeah, and I mean, we've got yin and yang there. He's completely different to me, so we're not, um, we're not, thing. I guess one thing I would say as a tip is that we definitely draw very um, clear lines of um, responsibility and in a situation where we can't agree, um, we, we do tend to hammer it out as far as we can go. So if I feel like he's not getting the message from me, I'll keep going <laughs> um, until he does, until, until he goes crazy, until we end up in a heated fight. But, um, 
but at the end of the day, if it's his area of ex- if it's his area of the business, so he's in op- he, he manages all the operational side of the business. If it's in his area, he gets to make the final call, so he can veto anything I say, and vice versa. If it's anything in my area, um, we can argue, and I listen, and, and he listens as well. We do listen to each other, and that's the key. Mm. Um, we do listen, and we'll keep listening till we feel the other person is finished. Um, but at the end of the day, we do get to veto if it's in our area. Sounds like a good tip is to actually have some really clear guidelines on who looks after what sector of the business. So you've grown from two employees to 40 um, and obviously that's a lot of a learning process and and that has a lot of growth challenges and lessons learned. So um, how do you go from just basically a a shoestring budget into that and what would you, what advice would you give yourself starting out now that you've been Man, I'd love some advice. I've just kept learning from making mistakes I think. (laughs) Um, We've made so many, so many mistakes. What are some real doozies that you've, you've done? Oh look our first one was, was so bad I mean, we we took over the business and we we started focusing on digital on, on the online side of the business and we were taking off. We were growing at three hundred percent, and we were just out of control because we were running it like a small business. Um, we were, you know, everything was done visually. There was no systems, processes. There was nothing, and we were growing and we just we couldn't cope. We actually went to a point where we turned our website off for a couple of months over Christmas and Halloween, just after Halloween and into Christmas, and hundreds of thousands of dollars were for gone as a result of that wow. decision. And it was really um. Definitely from an ego point of view, it was we took a big hit, you know, having to do that. So, you know, we just failed to plan, failed to have the have, have good people in place and mm-hmm. we thought we could do it all ourselves and we learned pretty quickly that you need plans, you need to do regular, um, you know, review your financials regularly. Um, we just learned to do a lot of stuff around spending time up front and preparing than actually waiting to, you know, like as an entrepreneur, you typically do just wait till it gets tough and just... You know, you chew harder as it as it gets tough. So um, that wasn't the way to do it. It was just to start planning and organising. So with with that growth, obviously you've you've got a lot of staff now. Um, who was the first person you hired apart from one another? Um, we hired someone in to, to be a retail assistant. Was that the best idea would you, or was, should you have gone into sales first or, you know, should you have hired someone in your back end uh, supporting you with admin and processes and procedures? What would you, what advice would you give someone who's growing um, exponentially? Look, look, I'm lucky that I'm a business analyst background. So my, my role at Woolworths was process and, and improvement. So certainly that was my job in the business was to figure out how we solve this problem. Yeah, right. And I, I still failed a few times, but anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it was the right decision because interestingly enough, like a lot of our employees now have been with us for six to 10 years um, and they all started as retail assistants. Mm. Um, And so we've recruited internally into those more senior roles in marketing and buying and things like that. And, And all these people have a great appreciation of what it's like to be at the front line. So I feel like we've got a great team of, of people that understand the business and love it and are passionate about it. And they were so passionate, they were happy to start at the front line. But now you know, they're in roles where they're, they're, you know, they're in much more senior positions. I'm going to ask you a question that I know every single person listening right now wants to know the answer to. How on earth did you hang on to good staff for (laughs) six to 10 years? That is remarkable because I think almost every sector, any business person, any expert I speak to, the toughest part of running a business is finding good people. So what's your top tip on hold on well I guess not hanging on to staff that's the wrong terminology but um having people with you that are so happy to remain um that they would stay with you for that long yeah I'm not sure if I have a a gold nugget or anything I'll just talk about it openly though I mean we've never really I never really thought about that question until 
we actually someone else asked me and then I had to think about the fact that we do have a lot of these employees that have been with us for so long. I mean, we do tend to have quite a lot of turnover at the beginning. So um, a lot of our retail assistants, you know, the, the average lifespan of them is about one to two years. But then obviously we find the, the, the good ones and they get promoted. And um, I, I think, look, my, my brother handles that side of the business more than I do. He's got, you know, my team's only about three or four, all of them a senior that have been with us for a long time, but his team's about 30-something um, underneath him from, you know, his his line of reporting. Um, but I think it's just about listening to people and, and, and coming up with different ways of working. I mean, I've got one employee that works from home, um, you know, and, and does all sorts of weird hours. Um, I've got others that I, I hardly speak to at all and they just get on with business. I've got others that, that I work with every day and... Um, it's just having a different approach to different people in different roles. Um, you know, it's not just about the person, whether they need more a hands-on approach as a manager, but it's also the role. Like my buyer, for example, has been with us 10 years, over 10 years now. And yet that role at times of the year needs quite a lot of input from me because um, buying decisions, you know, need different points of view and different opinions. So um, I'm quite involved in the buying process, but yet from a website content point of view, and that person reports to me, um, they get on and just get the job done. And um, so I think just different, I've read the book, The One Minute Management. I love that as a, I guess, as a, as a tip maybe to, to read that book because it talks about different strokes for different folks. And I love that concept of just thinking, look, everyone's different, every role's different um, and needs a different management style. You mentioned that there's a specific um, hierarchy and, and very much so that your, your partner, your business partner has an aspect of the business that people are um, reporting to him and then there's your aspect where people report to you. Yep. How do you define those roles? Is it something that evolves or do you sit down first and say, right, we need to hire a person to do this. Here is their KPIs. Here is what we need with them to do. Or do you find the person first and then the, the role evolves with them? Oh, look, a bit of both, actually. I mean, there's been good people that we've had along the years that we've found a role for them because we just needed that. I mean, uh, he's no longer with us now, but I remember one particular guy who was a graphic designer and that's what he wanted to do. And so we found the role in doing our email marketing and doing graphic design for us. And we just created a role for that person because we wanted to hang on to him as long as possible. So sometimes we do just create positions or, or modify the positions to suit the person. Um, other times it's the opposite. We have a need. We need a buyer. We need someone to manage our website. So we have those needs and we, um, I wouldn't say we recruit for them. We typically look internal mm-hmm. and try to pull someone up and give them an opportunity and see how they go. And um, hopefully we can work with them and coach them to get to where they need to go. I like that idea that with that growth that your, your staff grow with you as well. That's a, yeah. that's a great tip. Let's talk about um, Google Ads because um, for somebody in retail and someone who's very much in the online retail space, that is a pretty important part. But I see a lot of small business kind of stumble around with this, not quite sure how to use it, how to do it, how to action it. And they end up spending hundreds of dollars each month, if not more, on trying to push their website to the top. So have you got any um, any tips um, on using Google Ads and also the Facebook Accelerator program um, that you could share with our listeners? Yeah, look, definitely. I guess the, the, the number one tip I tell, or the number, I tell two tips, I guess, is, is first of all, start niche. You know, I guess um, if you're going into Google ads or in, any type of marketing, you've got Bing and all this, and we'll talk about those as well, maybe, because uh, Bing, you can actually get probably a better conversion rate at a lower cost, even though the traffic's only about 10%. But we'll talk about that. Maybe there's another tip. But um, certainly with with starting out, start niche, you know, I mean, for me, if you're starting out in party, and I hope I'm not giving advice to my competitors here, but, um, 
you know, don't start on the word party supplies. I mean, everyone in the whole country that's in party is advertising on that keyword. You're up against everyone. Um, and you've got to be pretty bloody good to be at it. But if, you know, I mean, you know, if you're in if you're in Hornsby Party Store, not that I don't know if there is one up here, but if you are, you should be focusing on Hornsby Party Supplies. Right. You're going to own that space. You're going to win that every time because you're here. Yep. You know, if you're a specialist in a particular area like weddings, you might focus on wedding party supplies, Hornsby, even more specific. Um, but go specific and own that space and then build out from there because um, if you're going to try to be everything to everyone and try to win um, – at, at all angles, you're never going to do it. You need to find somewhere where you're going to own and then go from there. I guess that's the first part. The second part is use a formula. I mean, that's something that I, I speak a lot about at conferences um, as the first step is work out what is the cost, you know, what is your cost to service a customer? So to give you a good idea for us is that we might get an average sale of, say, $100. And that's roughly about right, just easy of, easy of calculation. And... Um, to service every customer costs us roughly about $90 to service a customer. That's all our variable costs. Um, so it's a lot. So we're only left with $10 left. Well, essentially, that's how much I can afford to spend on marketing um, or, or it contributes to profit or, or, or contributes to my fixed costs. Um, so having that formula in place and using that and knowing what that is, is the key. Because if you're, if you're looking at your, if you've got that formula, like I just said there, and you're spending $20 per conversion on, on an AdWord, you got to either refine that, forget the position. It's not about the position. It's about what's profitable. So you might need to bid lower and you might appear in position 10, but at the end of the day, that might be the most profitable position for you. So focus on profit. And, and I think if you can use a formula like that and apply it to everything you do, not just Google AdWords, whether it's Facebook marketing, any sort of conversion marketing, um, even email marketing, you might work out the cost of an email campaign versus the conversions you get. Um, using a formula like that, I think is the key to working out how to scale your marketing. And that's what we did in the early days. We took off all our budgets off all our marketing campaigns and said, let's go hard because we know it works. Every time we spend, you know, $10, we get 12 back. And let's just go as hard as we can at those and turn as many 10s into 12s as we can. You mentioned Bing. Um, I yeah. thought that was a dead duck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, why is it that you, you made that part of your marketing formula? Yeah, I guess we'll talk a little bit about um, Bing early, maybe later, I assume. But um, certainly with Bing, only... I think it's maybe 10 or 12% of the traffic now. However, less people are advertising. And, and advertising in, in, in Google, for example, is a competitive landscape. Mm. Same with Bing. So if you're up against less competition, it's going to cost you less. Um, and you're going to get conversions at a much more profitable rate. Now, other people go, well, it's, it's still only 10%. Why bother focus on Google? It's 90%. Well, with Bing, you can port your AdWords across and do nothing. You can just literally do the exact same thing. And yeah, you might refine it if you really wanted to, but again, why waste your time? You, you can just port it across what you do in AdWords, do the exact same thing mm. over there mm. for a better return. Yeah, you know, because it it's sense. cheaper to begin with. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting, especially if you're, as you said, in the online retail space. Um, Facebook, you have the same kind of strategy as you do with Google AdWords. Is that correct? And We, we apply it to everything, actually, everything, whether it's even eBay, you know, the, the cost of listing on eBay versus the return you get um, for us wasn't worth it. So we pulled out of eBay. It didn't meet our formula. Um, and we actually did that about two years ago. Um, we dropped half a million dollars worth of sales, but we improved our bottom line by about a quarter of a million. So, um, you know, if it doesn't hit your formula, you need to... And I think you can apply that to everything. I mean, that's why I find it really difficult to look at um, above-the-line type media like magazines or TV or billboards. I, I struggle with the concept mm -hmm. because I can't see this, what's the cost, what's the return? I can't measure it. Where we digital, you can measure it. So um, I really struggle with those other mediums. Not mm. to say they're not 
right for mm-hmm. some businesses, mm-hmm. but just for me, I struggle with finding the return on them. It's interesting what you say about online. I guess it's really um, straightforward and, and very clear what you're paying per click or, or per um, per ad or per month, and then yeah. you can and you can factor that into your sales process as well and and what your what it's what the conversion rate is because that's yeah. that's really important. I don't think enough people especially in the online space, really understand that they kind of throw money at the wall and hope yeah, it sticks. Yeah, they want to get in position not, two or one or whatever yeah. and they don't really think about the what's costs. a profitable outcome. Yeah. yeah. How, how long would you say people would need to be in business if they had a, a business fairly similar to yours before they can start really looking at those numbers? Does it take a couple of years? No, I mean, it, I think a couple of weeks, to be honest. Yeah, I think you can, <laughs> get in, you you can dip sales. your toe in, get, yeah. some, get some numbers and then start refining it. Um, one of the things I was going to say just about what you were saying was, you know, that there was this, when I did university, the, the, the number one saying was 50% of your marketing works, you just don't know which 50%. Um, that's not true with digital. You know exactly what's working. You know what's not. You can drill down on the data and figure that that equation out. And actually, the stuff that's not working, you can either refine it or you can cut it. Mm. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters and after the break we're going to talk to Dean a little bit more about his experience on Shark Tank which I think is, um, it's almost put up on a bit of a pedestal for, for retailers in particular. Uh, you're listening to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. We will be back after this. So we're in the studio today with Dean Salakis from The Party People. Just before the break he was sharing with us his exponential growth but not an overnight success because he did take over from his parents when they retired with his brother, surprisingly, and expanded the business. And he was giving us some top tips on growth, um, employing the right people, and also what to do in the retail space online and how to factor in um, things like Google AdWords and Facebook. So thank you for sharing with us all those tips. Now, I want to talk to you about the, the award itself. Um, what does that mean? How did you leverage it? And um, what did it mean for you personally with being able to take on the speaking circuit? Yeah, look, it, um, it definitely, I guess, increased my presence, if you like, in terms of being able to be you know, speaking or writing articles and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I did that sort of stuff before. It's, it's probably what contributed to me winning the award, the fact that I was speaking a lot and um, you know, writing for industry magazines and things like that. Uh, but certainly since that you know, winning that award, um, I've, you know, received a lot more, I guess, media type requests. Um, so, you know, obviously being here is probably one of the reasons from winning the award. And then a lot of stuff like this, you know, whether it's newspapers or, you know, Money Magazine or, um, you know, there's, there's been a bunch of them, Smart Company. And I think I've, I was looking the other day and I think in the last six months, we've appeared twice a week in a major, you know, in a, in a major media of some kind. Do you um, think that's helped your business bottom line? Yes, I do, because I guess one of the key things is that it, it results in people conversation, people hearing our story. There's a little bit of marketing there. I wouldn't say, you know, spending an hour, so, say, for example, here is going to result in huge amounts of party supplies being sold for us. But certainly the exposure and the the fact that, you know, maybe, I don't know if you guys put it online and the, you often oh, absolutely. these things get a link to our website, which yes. is great SEO. Yes. Um, and everyone's doing that. And mm. this is very authoritative, you know, because Google looks at a site like yours and says, well, look, that's a media what they're saying is generally legitimate. So um, it gives a lot more weight to that than, say, a small blog where a lot of uh, people in our industry are doing a lot of SEO, for example, mm. and they're putting articles up in all these sorts of random places and they're doing a lot more than I am. I'm getting one or two a week in a major media. They're doing, you know, 500 a week in who knows where, and yet I'm still outranking them on, on all major keywords. And well, I think what you said there about it being a genuine connection and, and really making the most of it in terms of getting out there and, and making yeah. the most of the media opportunities that come about. Do you have a PR team? 
No, no PR at all, actually. No, not at all. Just, it's just you. literally myself. Yeah. <laughs> you and being confident and able to speak about it is, is, is most helpful. So yeah. you've gone out there and you've, you've really put yourself, um, uh, made yourself available to the media, me, media things. And recently you received another award as well, which was the online... Digital. Yeah, top 50 people in e-commerce, was that the one? Yeah, that's, yep. that's yeah, superb. That cool. Well done. <laughs> Congratulations on that too. Yeah, that was really nice as well. I mean, you're up against a lot of, again, retailers and e-commerce people that are amazing. So um, it's really humbling to be up, you know, in amongst the group. Oh, no, you're flying like, the small business flag. <laughs> you, um, if from, from the story that you've told us already, that, that growth and, and I think the genuineness of, of the business that you run and the fact that it is a family business, it really um, holds a lot of weight with people and, and touches a chord with, with people and what small business means to this engine room of the economy that politicians keep talking about. Well, we're not just yeah. an engine room. We are actually the people of Australia, not just the engine room yeah, of Australia and, as and well. Probably what I should also say about it is, you know, obviously like, so we won that award. I won the online retailer of the year, the independent retailer, and then I received the, you know, re, you know, retail leader of the year is what they called that award. Um, but, you know, I guess behind that is, is a team. You know what I mean? And I guess that's the hard thing is to always, like I'm the face of the company and everyone thinks that I'm the one that does all the work and yet my brother works equally as hard and gets no no praise or no recognition for it all because he doesn't want to be in the spotlight. You know, mm. that's, that's, that's just his thing. But we're equally um, accountable and, and we... we, we you know, we're both responsible for what we do in our business and we've got a whole team of people that do actually all the work and yet, um, you know, I can sit here and talk on a show. But at the end of the day, like you said, part of it is recruiting and having those people, but they're the ones that I need to be there to support because they're the ones that actually help us win these awards. There's your top tip about the awards. Just make sure you're there to support the people who got you there in the yeah, first yeah. place. Now, we've got a couple of minutes left and I know there's a lot of people listening who would like to know about your experience on Shark Tank. Now, I've heard that um, when it happens... They tell you to ensure that your website can cope with a massive number of hits. Um, is that the reality of being on the show? Or uh, they didn't tell me the... anything actually going on to this show. Oh, that's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I had no... Uh, I was season one, so literally nothing. The rules were a little bit different oh, wow. um, than they are now. Uh, but we had nothing. Yeah, I mean, I had to model ours off the US. Um, when, well, I mean, we thought about it, so yeah. we actually modelled our our hosting and all that off the US and we beefed up our site, made sure it could cope and it still didn't cope. So yeah. <laughs> that was a shocker. It was down for a bit. I would say it was, technically it wasn't down as they, as the hosting company told me. It was, it was grinding so slow that it wasn't moving, ah. um, which is different because it's not their fault. It's the software's fault. Um, but it, it went down for about half an hour and we had over, you know, hundreds of thousands of people trying to hit our site. So it was probably the worst time to be down. <laughs> we, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, I, I hear that. I've, I've heard from numerous people who've been on Shark Tank that that's the, that's the thing you've got to watch is just make sure that you can... You're yeah, that you're Well, not that you're not ready because... But I don't think being in the first season, that would have obviously been been quite tricky as well. Yeah. So you've developed a relationship um, with some of the Shark Tank judges. What, what has that given you for your business growth after the fact, after being on the show? Um, Apart yeah, look, from notoriety. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it was obviously interesting. Like I haven't really spoken to any of them other than Naomi Simpson since being on the on the show. Um, but that's a big deal. I mean, she's a fantastic oh, entrepreneur yeah, and businesswoman. Person. She's amazing. And she, yeah. she gives so much of herself on the program as well. Yeah, so much. And I mean, even I, I've asked her a couple of times for some advice and she's been very generous in providing that advice, um, you know, for me personally. Um but certainly, I mean, I was on the show and, and turning down, like you said, notoriety, turning down um, Janine Alice was something that's pr kind of turned into this story of how I turned her down. And, um, you know, at the time, it didn't feel like anything. It was quite a nerve-wracking situation to have to 
decide whether I take this money or not. She offered me us $400,000 for... Is it live? Like, are you literally... You're making the decision then and there, right? You don't get to go away and talk about it or even just think about it for a few days. I, I think now they let you make a phone call, but in my season, we weren't allowed at anything. Whoa. We were literally there. Um, they've got calculators and pen and paper and they're throwing numbers at you um, and you're trying to figure it out in your head. And I would say up until she made us an off, it made me an offer... Um, I was fine. I was comfortable. I felt relaxed. I mean, as you can see, I'm a little bit of an extrovert. So I'm, uh, I was quite comfortable talking to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I felt I was confident that we had a good business to offer them. Yep. Um, but then when she started throwing numbers, I was crapping myself. <laughs> uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't compute the numbers in my head. I was stressing out. And yeah, it was that. Or, or, I'm sure any of the awkward looks that they show you in that whole segment was taken in the last five minutes because I was, I couldn't, I was struggling. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, there's some top tips. Just be ready for the uh, the numbers yeah. to be thrown at you. And um, but it's lovely that you've been able to make that connection and continue a relationship with one one of the people who is happy to give you advice. And that's that's yeah. what we want from our entrepreneur leaders um, in in the business world. Yeah. So that's yeah. great. Look, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the program yeah, today, Dean, and sharing with us your journey, your top tips on on having a successful online retail business, um, and a little bit about your experience at Shark Tank. Now, where can people find out more about uh, your business and how to support you. Yeah, so people can find more about The Party People at www.thepartypeople.com.au. Thanks for the little plug, personal plug. Uh, you can check me out on LinkedIn, uh, just LinkedIn, uh, that's, I think it's forward slash in forward slash Dean Salakis. Um, but yeah, check us out, go to our, our website, have a look what we do and yeah. That's fantastic. Now, if you've missed any of today's program, you can, of course, catch up via iTunes. We have over 60 podcasts just like this one available to you to listen to in full. Plus, on our website, there's over 130 podcasts to listen to, um, which date back to the last five years. That's right. We are five years in May here on Small Biz Matters on I think Triple you need H. to celebrate a birthday party. I reckon. <laughs> I can have a soft launch. I'll have to help you out. Oh, I think I know someone. <laughs> Um, So thanks very much for coming on the program, Dean. We'll be back next week with another great guest. Uh, We're hoping to have Angela Vitkoulis here in the room to talk about the Small Business Party, a little bit more about the election. And I believe we also, oh, we've also got a really fantastic guest. We've got Heather Smith. She is one of the experts in cloud accounting. And I don't just mean expert. I mean, she can see the matrix with this stuff. So if you want to learn a little bit more about the cloud accounting world, what's coming up, what's happening, that's a bit of our um, lead in to the Accounting and Business Expo. Make sure you come along to that. It's completely free and it's going to be awesome. Um, and uh, all of these things, of course, are available on the smallbizmatters.com.au website. You can follow us on Facebook, find me on LinkedIn and all the above. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will be back next week on Triple H 100.1 FM and across the community radio network. You've been listening to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd.